The person I met was, at the time, I didn't know, textbook narcissistic abuser. And I went through 12 years of this. I'm doing what I am doing today is because of this episode and what I've gone through. And I've never in detail spoke about it. It was almost like light bulb after light bulb. I thought, oh my gosh, this person is textbook narcissistic. And I will never let that person treat me or my family ever again the way they have. Why am I protecting their identity? Why am I making sure that everyone knows that they didn't do this? Why am I not telling people my story and what happened? Welcome to Well Made, where we dive deep into all things wellness, self-improvement, and self-love. I'm your host, Kat Kamalani, a mother of two beautiful kids and a proud wife to a firefighter husband. Together, we'll explore raw and candid moments that touch on every aspect of life from parenting to relationships, career, and personal growth. Our conversations will be filled with insight, experiences, and tips to help you live your best life. So sit back, relax, and join us on this journey towards a happier, healthier, and more fulfilling life. Welcome back to another well-made episode, you guys. This one, I have been really nervous for it. And we have our guest, Emily, here. And I'm going to introduce her in just a second. But before we go in, I just want to make sure people who are listening understand this is probably triggering triggering to some people. I'm already stuttering over my words. <laughs> probably triggering to some people. But I think it's going to be really therapeutic and healing to a lot of our audience. So we have Emily Gibson right now. And I want you to explain what your background is and what you exactly do. I promise. I am not an intimidating person. <laughs> I'm just like having, I'm having so much anxiety because truthfully, Emily, this is why I'm doing what I am doing today is because of this episode and what I've gone through. And I've never in detail spoke mm. about it besides my therapist. So it's like, I feel like I'm opening a floodgate. It's a lot of vulnerability yeah. when you start opening up and sharing your story. Yes. But it's the most empowering thing that you can do as a survivor. I love that. When you share your story, you turn a disempowering situation into an empowering situation. And then that further empowers every single survivor or currently suffering from abuse. It empowers them. So bravo to you. You're amazing. Okay. Tell us your background. Okay. What do you so do? my name is Emily Gibson. <laughs> I am a certified master coach and I also have a trauma-informed accreditation, which just means... And that's why I wanted you on is because I have been for months seeking out somebody who I felt was qualified for this because it is such a sensitive topic. And rolling back kind of where I came from, the trauma, is that I, my whole life, had amazing parents, an amazing childhood. I grew up in a very secure, I would say, emotionally and physically household. And it wasn't until about 12 years ago where I don't even know what to call him. Like, I, the person I met was, at the time, I didn't know, textbook narcissistic mm -hmm. abuser. Mm -hmm. And I went through 12 years of this and going through of, 
What's wrong with me? Am I the monster trying to do everything I can to get this person to like me and accept me and love me? And it was years and years of destroying my self-confidence, making me feel like I was unworthy to be loved and accepted. And I couldn't even put a label on it. I just thought it was me. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until I started to inform myself that I, it was almost like light bulb after light bulb. I thought, oh my gosh, this person is textbook narcissistic. And I, it was almost like, Emily, I can't even explain it, that this darkness and cloud over me, it was just light that Mm -hmm. I wasn't crazy, I was worthy of love, that it wasn't me, that I I wasn't the person causing all this pain and anguish because after putting that label and seeing it, it made things so clear. So I wanna ask you, Mm -hmm. what is a narcissistic person or what's the correct terminology for it and how can you identify it where our audience is sitting here right now and you can tell them and they can say, oh my gosh, I can relate to that. Well, and the first thing is once you see it, you can't unsee it. Mm. And most people don't see it while they're in it. In fact, I didn't notice it until after I had left. And it's just like you said, I thought I was the problem. I thought there was something wrong with me. You'll even sometimes go to therapists and be saying, I'm seeing these things, I'm seeing these things. And if they're not properly trained, they don't even see it. And so first of all, compassion for self, of course you didn't see it. The reason you didn't see it is because you are not the narcissist. (laughs) And the term narcissist itself, because now it is recognized in the DSM, that's the the manual that we use to define mental illness and, and different personality disorders in the United States. And so it's now defined as narcissistic personality disorder. And there's a lot of different traits that narcissists have, and I'll list them off for you. But the biggest thing is that because there's now a diagnosis, some people will say to you, oh, you don't, you don't really have a narcissist. That's not really real. That's made up. There's lots of people on Instagram that will fight with you about it in the comments. You can just go to my posts and you'll see them all. But the funny thing to me is because we've defined it as a word now, it's not a word to define a person. It's a word for you to define that what happened to you was real. So I really feel like the name narcissist is more for the community of those of us that are survivors, not necessarily for someone who's going to be diagnosed. For example, if you were to be someone who was in a domestic violence situation, which I believe narcissistic abuse is domestic violence because it emotional abuse is physical abuse. It literally starts to give physiological changes inside of your body. For example, I developed hypothyroidism and co-Lyme infections. My liver and kidney stopped functioning. My hair all fell out. Lots of other things. And this is very common for people. They can develop heart disorders. And I'll, I'll get into why that happens physiologically logically inside of you later. But the biggest thing to realize is that when you have a narcissist, narcissism is created in childhood and it stems from a person who had some sort of childhood trauma that went untreated for an extended period of time. Now we all go through trauma. Coming through the birth canal is traumatic. You're going to, it's why you scream and you cry for your mom. And then she holds you and nurses you and cuddles you and snuggles you and you stop crying. And sometimes when you grow up in a household that's even a healthy functional household, you can develop narcissist personality disorder if you were bullied or if someone molested you or if there was someone in your life that did something to you that went 
untreated, unsupported for an extended period of time. And that is where narcissism comes from. Even if you were someone that your parents moved around a lot when you were little, that could be, that could be perceived to your nervous system as very traumatic. And that's one of the ways that you could develop narcissistic personality disorder. But because it's diagnosed now, people want to argue with you about, well, that person isn't diagnosed as a narcissist, so they must not be a narcissist. Well, it's rare for a narcissist to be diagnosed because a narcissist is God. A narcissist is perfect and they would never admit to these qualities that they have. So even if they were to go into a therapist, most of the time, if the therapist isn't well-trained, but most of them, they're, they're starting to learn about narcissistic personality disorder and they're able to spot it now. But some narcissists will go into a therapy appointment and they will swoon the therapist because if they are a covert narcissist, meaning undercover narcissist, they can be very generous. They can be very well loved. Some narcissists are examples of people in their community that everyone loves. And when you have someone that hasn't been diagnosed before, and they're not going to go in and get a diagnosis because what's wrong with them? They're perfect. Then, and you have other people in your life saying, well, they're not diagnosed. Well, that's like saying to a woman who's been slapped by her husband. Well, that's not domestic violence because you don't have a bruise yet. It's the same thing. So just because someone doesn't have narcissistic personality disorder per se, the qualities that a narcissist has that you might want to look for are They are someone who might be overly generous, but in same regard, overly controlling. So things that narcissists will do is they will, first of all, mirror all of your best qualities. That's why you fall in love with them so quickly. You're actually falling in love with yourself, not in a narcissistic way, which is so ironic, but in a way of they mirror all of your best qualities. So if you're someone that's very empathetic and very loving, they'll be very empathetic and loving to you. And they will tell you all the most wonderful things about you that your inner soul wants to hear, especially if you are someone who has experienced trauma yourself. It's very common for people who've had childhood trauma or abuse at some point in their life to gravitate into a narcissistic relationship because the narcissist is going to feed your inner soul with all the things that you are craving to hear about yourself. So if you're really insecure, the narcissist is going to just puff you up. Oh my gosh, you're so amazing. You have the most beautiful smile. I love the way that you pour into everyone else. And then they'll start throwing in little things like, even though no one else can see it but me. So they'll, they'll give you compliments. They'll build you up. They'll mirror all of your best qualities and then they'll start to break you down and start to slip little things in to mess with your self-confidence and make you reliant upon them as if you cannot survive without them. Wow. That, you know, when you're talking about childhood and how that develops in childhood, I've learned that narcissistic people sometimes have a childhood where they go through traumatic things and they didn't get the love uh, Mm -hmm. from their parents where their parents weren't showing them the hugs and the kisses and I love you and I'm proud of you. So in return, they tried to find the love within themselves. And that's how the narcissism starts is like within themselves. And they have to create a false image of themselves. It's a protective mechanism. So we think narcissists are these evil devils out in the world that are out to get us, but they're not. Yeah. They're wounded mentally 
And because of that, their nervous system to protect them creates a false image because they cannot handle looking at themselves for who they really are. It's too much for their nervous system. Yeah. And so they create this false image and then they project that everywhere. And that's why narcissists can't handle disappointment. That's why they start breaking down and they start, like, they become more abusive whenever they're experiencing disappointment in their life because they are, they are, they have to look at the false self that has the void, that has no love. Narcissists are incapable of love. They are incapable of empathy. So they will be people who look really giving and loving on the outside, at least the covert ones that are more undercover. They will typically go out of their way to make you feel really special. They will give you lots of gifts, love bombs in the very beginning. So you fall in love with them and then they'll use those gifts against you later as collateral, if you will. They'll say, I can't believe how selfish you are. I gave you that $5,000 trip to Costco and you're just so ungrateful now. What's coming up for you as I'm saying this? I'm thinking about um, um, sorry. I'm thinking about my abuser for 12 years. It's everything you're saying is what he did to me mm -hmm. and did to my best friend. Mm -hmm. And I have empathy for my abuser because he didn't deserve that growing up. At one time, he was a five-year-old little boy and he deserved love from his parents, but I didn't deserve that either. And my best friend didn't deserve that. Exactly. And it's hard for me because I'm almost angry. Like, why is it my best friend had to step up and stop the generational mm. abuse. Why did he have to do that? Why couldn't you do that? Why couldn't mm. you stop? Why couldn't you be like, you know what? I'm not going to abuse my children. I'm not going to hit my kids. I'm not going to put them through hell. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to change and I'm going to seek the help I need to. And I, I don't understand that. I feel like I just need to like hold your hand here. I'm like, no, no, we're going to hold hands now. I appreciate it's that. It's so common for abusers, for, for survivors of narcissistic abuse, for any abuse really, to look at themselves and beat themselves up. Why couldn't I stand up for myself? Why couldn't I be the one to leave? And the reason why is because of the trauma bond. And you literally have physiological changes that happen inside of your body that addict you to the narcissist. And because of the way that your nervous system is set up with fight, flight, and freeze, you typically will go into a freeze response, which is like another layer deeper into your nervous system. And it's not because of a personality thing. This is something that's so misunderstood about our nervous system. People think, oh, she's a fighter. She's a strong one. She's a fighter. She's, she's a flighter and she's a freezer. And a lot of people in narcissistic abusive situations are in freeze, meaning you shut down, you're numb, you can't move. And we see that as a society as weakness, but it is not that at all. It has nothing to do with personality. Your nervous system created by God, which I believe is so intricately 
made for you so that you survive. And any time that your nervous system perceives a threat in an instant, it's going to drain the blood from your prefrontal cortex. That's where we think about our own thinking, your neonatal cortex, right in the front of your brain right here. Like when people get traumatic brain injuries and they're not the same after and they've had damage to their prefrontal, that's what I'm talking about here. So your prefrontal is what thinks about its own thinking. And when you have your nervous system engage in a fight or flight response or freeze, it takes blood flow away from your prefrontal. So you can't think and mess up your survival because your nervous system was created so you can run away from the bear. You can uh, evade the tiger that's outside the cave trying to kill you. Not really as useful to us now, like when I drove up to your house today, I didn't see any lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I mean, I saw some construction crews and everything, but they looked harmless. They were very friendly, but our nervous system is still programmed for that. So in an instant, your nervous system decides without asking you what is going to be your highest chance of survival, and it picks that. Yours picked freeze. It perceived that for you to do nothing for you to be as small as you possibly could, as quiet as you possibly could, taking as little action as you possibly could. That was your nervous system working for you. How amazing are you? It's crazy you say that because that's exactly it. I found myself changing when I was around them to do whatever I can to fit the mold so they would like me and accept me and love me. And I would try to do gifts and I would try to say things and dress a certain way and talk a certain way. But no matter what I did, I was never good enough. And it also reminds me of being a child where you're a child and all you want is just your parents or adults or someone older than you to love you and accept you. And when I was in that moment, I felt like a child. I, even though I was a grown woman, mm-hmm. I felt like a child. And I just want to touch base on the control aspect because what I saw from my abuser, it was control where it was control over finances, mm-hmm. control over the siblings, control over who says what and where everyone goes, control of what sports you can do, mm-hmm. control over absolutely every single thing you can do. And when I saw that my best friend was walking away from what they thought their life should be or how they should act or even the cell phone plan, getting their own cell phone plan, you almost saw the abuser unraveling didn't know what to do and and didn't know how to handle the situations mm-hmm. because they had no longer control over them financially or anything else. It's called narcissistic collapse. Tell us more about that. The narcissist literally when the the thing that the narcissist hates the very most is not having control over you. So narcissists are very manipulative and they like to control and manipulate you and they know exactly how to push your buttons to get you to behave the way you want to behave. And that's why you described almost like this walking on eggshells type of behavior around your narcissist where you just think that if you behave better, then they will love you like they did in the beginning. Because the first phase of essentially falling in love with a narcissist, whether they're a parent or a significant other or a friend or even a business partner where you have a work relationship, whatever it may be, when you're in that type of a relationship with them in the beginning and they're mirroring your best qualities and they're giving you the love bombs where they're giving you presents and gifts and everything. And then 
All those things, when they start to withdraw from you, and it's actually where they, it's the discard phase, which is the second phase of narcissistic abuse in the discard phase where they decide, hmm, this little toy here is not giving me enough supply. Because I want you to imagine a narcissist sort of like, did you ever, I'm sure you read like the Twilight books and you yes, read the movies of and the vampires and everything. <laughs> yes, I always loved that. I always loved that she wrote those books while she was up late with her colicky baby in the middle of the night. Like I had colicky babies. So I'm like, where, why we? didn't I do that with my extra time? <laughs> where, I was like I was having a mental of, breakdown. I was dreaming of Rice Krispie Squares. And she's like, I know I'm like eating Reese's Puffs and she's like, I'm going to be a million billion dollar author here we go I'm like hmm oh well anyway it all worked out yeah but um you are where you're supposed to be it all worked out I'm exactly where I'm meant to be and the way that I know that you are exactly where you're meant to be and every single listener on the podcast is where they are meant to be no matter what they've been through is is because that's where they are it is where you are so it is where you are supposed to be the abuse that you've had to endure, whatever it is that you've been through, it was always supposed to happen that way. And the way I know that's true is because it is how it happened. What's the upside of believing that it wasn't supposed to happen to you? Then you just remain in victim forever. And that's very disempowering. And I always want to empower my clients. That is just always like, I want to be empowered myself. I want you to be empowered because empowered people are survivors, right? So the vampires in the twilight, right? They go around and they suck the blood out of everyone. Or even in the movie Hocus Pocus, where they, you know, give the little Emily the green drink and then they, yep. and Bette Midler's like, and then they become young. It's like Botox overnight. So easy, right? They just suck the life out of the little children. That's a narcissist. They suck supply out of you. They take all of the best, beautiful, most amazing things out of you. You're very, narcissists are very attracted to caring individuals, very empathetic individuals, people that love to see others have joy. You're a magnet for a narcissist if you have these qualities. This doesn't mean that you should be afraid. It just means you're a beautiful human being. And that, of course, a narcissist would want to be around you. Everybody wants to be around you. You're a very kind human being. There you go being human again. They love that. They're attracted to that. You're a magnet to them because of that. You know what I've noticed about narcissistic people is that they make really huge, significant events about themselves. Oh, yes. Birthdays, holidays, weddings. For and me- And they take over yours if you're having something. Yes. They make it about them. For me, it was my wedding. Mm. It was my best friend's senior graduation. It was another graduation that they had. It was- birthday events. It was everything. Mm -hmm. And to give you a little background story, it's one of the events we are having is that they, it was a surprise and we were- a surprise party. I know, I don't. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Too stressful. They were flying in for the surprise party and out of nowhere, my brother calls me and says, hey, this person is going to tell this other person about the surprise birthday party because- they want them to know. They mm. should be able to know. And mm -hmm. I jaw to the ground. And I was like, what do you mean? And in my head, all I can think about, it was my wedding. It was the senior graduation. It was this other graduation. It's my birthday. It was always like making it about them. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Do they not have the scientific part in their mm. brain to under to look at other people and say, wait a minute, this isn't about me? No, not at all. Because again, they have that false self. Mm. So everything is about getting source and supply, sucking the life out of the little children around them. 
just like in Hocus Pocus. It's mm-hmm. always about that. And if they can't get that, then they are they are faced with seeing their true self, which they cannot handle. Their nervous system can't handle it. So they mm. have to wear a mask. They have to do that because they cannot have empathy. They're incapable of empathy. So anything that's going on, they have to get supply and source from somewhere. Now, if there's an event that is all about them, they're happy to make it appear like it's about you as long as it's obvious to everyone else that it's about them. This happens a lot in work environments. It can happen in marriages, sometimes in friendships as well, but especially in work environments because, for example, if you have a a partnership, like a, a business partnership, and they're a team together, but one of them maybe is higher up in the company or whatever it is. And as long as they're getting the highest award, then everything's fine. And they can say, oh, so-and-so is so amazing. But the second that that person then elevates onto their equal level or heaven forbid above them, then the narcissist has to cause chaos. They have to somehow bring someone else down so that they can feed their supply, feed that false self so that they are the one that's lifted up higher. Wow. You know, I've also noticed too with narcissistic behaviors in this person is that when they're at home with their family, that their family sees one person. Mm -hmm. It's very eggshells, cold shoulder. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to read them. They don't know what they're thinking. They're all on just, is this person mad? Are they angry? Are they sad? They can't read them. Mm -hmm. And then the second they step out into the world, they are the most spiritual person. They are just loving and kind and amazing. What happens in a narcissistic brain where they treat the people in their inner circle one way, Mm -hmm. but then in the outer world, it's a different way? Well, they have to have the mask. Because they have to have control of how other people view them. It gives them this high. It's the best way I can describe it is like that runner's high or even a high you would get from taking a drug. It's a drug to them. And so within the homes of, within the walls of their home, they can only wear the mask for so long before people start to see what's really going on. And even amongst people, in their social circles and their communities and church circles or whatever it is, wherever it might be, you can only wear a mask for so long. But a narcissist is able to control and manipulate the people around them well enough and long enough as long as they are not getting narcissistic supply from them. Because that is when they get really close with someone and that's where eventually the mask comes down because the narcissist tires of the supply and they get, they need to get, they need to get source from something that's more of a high. Your narcissist sees you as a drug, although they don't cognitively understand that or have the awareness of that. You are their drug. You're drugs to them. You are, by by the interaction that they get from you, their head, their brain is secreting hormones just like yours is when you are trauma bonded to them. So we're talking about the feel-good hormones like serotonin and oxytocin and dopamine. Those are the feel-good hormones. That's what we feel when we're first getting involved in a relationship with a narcissist. They feel that with us as well. And then when they begin to tire of us because we are not giving them the supply, like it's almost as if 
You know when you've used NyQuil for a couple days and you've gone too many days in a row and all of a sudden you're like, this stuff isn't working anymore. Sure. Why am I still sick? Maybe I better go to the doctor. This could be strep. It's like the NyQuil wears off and the narcissist thinks, well, this this NyQuil isn't working anymore. Huh. Get rid of that one. I need a new one. Who's my new one going to be? And if you're married to a narcissist, this is when the affairs will begin and they'll start to have extramarital affairs. Multiple, many, sometimes in upwards of 20 and 30 and 40 different women. Could just be one at a time, but some of them will have dozens and dozens all at the same time. In a friendship relationship, maybe they'll move on to another friend. They'll start going out, taking trips with another friend more than you, where you used to be the one that they did everything with, and then they moved on to someone else. If it's a work partner, maybe they've poured into this one person, and now they're going to shift and pour into someone else. Because mm. the NyQuil wore off right? And the drug's no longer as strong as it used to be because they need that hit of dopamine and serotonin and oxytocin more than you do almost. They're not trauma bonded to you in the same way where you are trauma bonded to them. You're literally addicted to them. They are not addicted to you. They're addicted to the drugs that they get from wherever they're getting it from, where you are trauma bonded to them. When the love bombing is happening in the very beginning mm. and they're marrying you and all these things, your brain is releasing and secreting oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine. It's the same. They're the same drugs that you release when you have a baby and you breastfeed. Mm. It love, love, it's love. Love is the greatest human emotion on earth and it never, ever hurts. People say love hurts. No, it doesn't. Love never hurts. Love always feels good. It's why people are addicted to oxytocin and heroin because love is the greatest human emotion on earth. It's why as a teenager, we love to like make out with our boyfriend and hold his hand and like, oh, this is so amazing. And then three months later, we're like, next, someone new. Not because we're all narcissists needing a new one, right? It's just love is futile when you're young, right? Some of us marry our high school boyfriends or whatever. I didn't, but you know that it's love. And then when they get bored of you and the NyQuil wears off, as an analogy, <laughs> then your brain feels threatened by that. Them pulling away, you feel threatened because this is the greatest love you've ever felt. This is the safest you've ever felt. They're probably doing things for you financially at this point, especially if you're married to them or in a romantic relationship with them. But even in a business partnership, they may have made you a lot of money. And now you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to survive without this because a lot of people feel like money creates safety. Money does not create safety. Safety is an emotion. Our thoughts create our feelings. You create safety within yourself by what you think. But when you're in a narcissistic abusive relationship and they pull away their energy, from you energetically, you'll feel that because humans are experts at reading other humans. You'll know instantly when they're discarding you and you will feel threatened. Your body will begin or they'll start abusing you either physically or emotionally. They'll start to break you down the devaluation phase where they start to tell you things like you're really hard to love. Did you know how hard you are to love? People tell me that you are just really hard to be around and you know, I just want you to know that I can see through all of that and you're just really lucky to have me. You're so lucky that I see through that. Not many people can love you. You're hard to love. That's the devaluation phase where they start to break you down. And it is a form of emotional manipulation and emotional control. Then when you have money worked in there, if you're married and there's children and they're using the kids against you, I mean, it can just get very webby 
spinning all the webs. But in that phase, your brain starts to release stress, adrenaline, cortisol. This puts you into fight or flight. And when you're in fight or flight, you'll start to pull away and the narcissist will feel that and they won't like it. So what do they do? They send you a breadcrumb, a little flower here, little flowers, maybe a bracelet, maybe kitchen table. They might give you um, a trip, quick weekend trip somewhere. If it's a friend, write, write you a note, a handwritten note. Just want you to know through all the hard times how much I value you. It's a breadcrumb, like Hansel and Gretel. And you pick it up and you eat it and you're like, oh, I loved this. I missed this love. It's not love. It's dopamine. Your brain gets confused. And that's what creates the trauma bond. And then you spin and spin and spin. It's why you could never leave. How many times on average does someone try to leave their narcissistic abuser but keeps going back and why? Seven to eight times. And it's because a trauma bond is 20 times more addictive than heroin. The statistics for heroin recovery, by the way, are with treatment less than 3%. This is 20 times more addictive than heroin. Well, I've never been speechless, but this is the first time. Narcissistic people, have you noticed triangulate? Oh, yes. Grandpa said this. Did you listen to your brother and sister? They'll turn siblings against each other. Have you, did you see mom agrees with me on this? Mm -hmm. And the biggest one, God wouldn't want this. I'm a power of priesthood. Mm. I go to church. I'm a man of God. But I firmly believe that narcissistic people are religious, but they are not spiritual because they cannot put anyone before them, even God. They cannot. They think they are God. The rules don't apply to them. When you see a narcissist, you'll see that they are people that think that they are above the law. They're above the rules. The rules don't apply to them. They're special. They will even say things to you like, God has given me this gift. God has given me this special gift to not sleep. Why are you sleeping? You're just so weak. I can't believe you need to sleep. What's wrong with you? And they'll try to keep you up as a form of physical abuse to make you so tired that you can't even function. And you're within their control at that point as well. And it's sad because when you are talking about a parent who is mm-hmm. narcissistic and you're you're going back going back to what you said you said that i don't want to put words in your mouth oh, no, but basically fine. but basically of like people go back to back to their narcissistic seven or eight times and finally it clicks with a child and i can't take this anymore but it's mm-hmm. so hard because they're your parent and because you have every other person saying to you that's your dad. You it's need dad. to forgive them. Oh, yeah. That's your mom. It's your family. That's your family. Families stick together. And you would never, ever in another abusive relationship, sexually or physically, tell the abu- the person who's being abused, mm-hmm. you need to forgive your sexual abuser because mm-hmm. that's your dad. But with narcissism, people do that. And why? Well, I think number one, this is why it's so important to be mindful of who you share your healing journey with. Because when you are, I learned really quickly to not share my healing journey with people who made comments like that, because that is not conducive to your healing. It's not true. It's a made up thing that's accepted by society. 
But families in and of themselves, when you think about it, why do we think that it's because we are family that we should let all boundaries go out the window? Why? It doesn't make any sense. The family unit is supposed to teach love, support, and boundaries. So if we can't practice boundaries with our own families by saying, this is okay, this is not okay, then we're failing the family unit. We have to create boundaries in situations like this. We can have extreme modified contact with families, which is what I teach my clients to do and teach friends and family to do or whatever. Because when you have modified extreme contact, you can create a boundary that allows you to have healing, but still have them in your life if you want them in your life. But you don't have to have them in your life. That's all made up. I reject all of that. It's not even a thing. But the reason why we think it is because we've been told it for a really long time. It's made up. Show me somewhere on a piece of paper in the Bible, where does it say, you have to keep your family in your life when they treat you poorly? Where does it say it? I am grateful though, going back to what you said um, of going through this, I'm grateful for my abuser and what they did Mm. to me because what it makes me realize is that I am going to be the best parent because of my abuser, because I look at my children as either I can love them Mm -hmm. and accept them for everything they are, because the only difference of me accepting and loving my children and not is that they can be six feet underneath the ground and alive. The only difference is one is breathing, one is not breathing. You're a cycle breaker. Yeah. You're a cycle breaker. And that's what everyone listening to this podcast right now gets to choose to be. You get to be a cycle breaker. You get to be the person that says, it ends with me. In fact, do you read the Colleen Hoover books? No, I should. I hear she's amazing. When you're going through an abusive relationship or you're going through the healing process of an abusive relationship, which which really is ongoing, right? Like how long do you feel like you are healed from your abuse? Here's the thing, and I want to ask you, I felt... Once I was able to label it and it was just eye opening mm-hmm. to me, I went through a lot of anger. Mm. And you then, know why? Tell me, please. So, anger is actually in your fight or flight response. It's mm. an emotion that you feel in that part of your nervous system where you shift into fight or flight, which helps you leave, and along with frustration, edginess, things like that. But anger is an emotion that I also utilized. Mm. Anger protected you. Anger kept you safe. Anger serves you. Anger is an emotion that's very empowering. You feel like you're in control when you're angry, right? That's why your body picks anger. Because in that moment, your nervous system said, we are getting out of this place and we are never going to get hurt again. And then anger is because it's such an intense emotion, it can get exhausting. Yes. And there comes a point in your healing journey where you go, huh, I don't know if I want to have anger all day, every day anymore. Yes. But I'm so glad to hear that you allowed anger because most people, especially in our modern day society, are told to suppress anger. You shouldn't be angry. Anger not. Bull crap. Yeah. All of your emotions are correct. You should feel every single one of them. You're going to feel shame. You're going to feel embarrassment. You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel regret. You're going to feel grief. And my guess is that anger was, while it was part of your fight or flight, it was probably also part of your grieving process. Yes. I miss my abuser. 
almost every day. I could cry about it. <laughs> I can't believe I'm not crying right now. But it's very common to miss your abuser because when a narcissist is good, they're so good. And there are so many amazing times. That's why you fell in love with them, whether it was a romantic relationship or a plutonic friendship or whatever. There were good parts about that relationship, even with a parent. It's why we keep going back. And then the whole thing that I wanted to mention about the parent thing, when you start working in like you're, maybe they'll write you out of the will, or maybe they'll keep you from other people that you love in your family, or like it gets so intricately woven and complicated with families, especially with parents, when you start to believe that you're going to lose your sense of self and your family, when really all of that while it feels very true in your mind, is also all made up and it's not serving you. Because if you live in a constant state of fight or flight, your body is not meant to do that. It's why my thyroid literally quit working. Mm -hmm. Like quit working. It stopped functioning. Mm -hmm. And this is so common with survivors of trauma and abuse. And when you are in trauma and abuse, your adrenals are constantly pumping out adrenaline and cortisol 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and God never made your body to do that. It's drug addiction. It's trauma bonding. It's the pharmacy inside of your brain that's addicted to the narcissist. And your body thinks that eventually it's going to get oxytocin again, but it just keeps getting oxytocin's lower little, little sister, dopamine. Someone's listening to this podcast and they're hearing certain flags of how to label someone who is narcissistic. Mm -hmm. What are some short little words that you can give somebody to look out for? Cold shouldering, mm. controlling. It, silent treatment. Nar a narcissist loves to do silent treatment, mm. whether it's in text message or maybe they don't speak to you for a couple of days. Um, I would say they also love to make you feel guilty. Mm. They will put you down. They will shame you. They will... Any, any way that they can disempower blaming. you and break you down. Blaming, really common. Oh, God. Um, isolating you. And they won't all, some people think isolating is like taking your phone away or, um, or, or not letting you talk to a friend, but it's so much more crafty than that because a narcissist will say to you, Kat, I don't know if you know this, but that, that friend of yours, she's not your friend. She doesn't really like you. Mm. And I can tell she doesn't really like you. And that's why they're like, and it's because you're hard to like, but I mean, I see through all of that. I like you. You're so lucky to have me. They'll start to just isolate you from key people in your life so that you feel scared to talk to them. This is really common with siblings where siblings will spend their whole lives growing up in a home with a narcissistic parent and they won't trust their siblings because the narcissistic parent along the way will make comments like, I know you two have trouble. And you're like, we did? I didn't know we had trouble. What did they say? Well, they just said, you know, you two don't get along very well. You don't see eye to eye. And all of a sudden, you didn't realize that you had an issue with your sibling. But now there's this disconnect. There's this loss of trust. And so because of that, you interact differently with your sibling. And then 30 years later, you're both grownups and you realize that you were both manipulated and could have had a friendship because you were suffering the whole time together, isolated in the same home. So with my best friend, if they're not good with the parent, 
then they're, they can't see anyone. They can't see any of the siblings. No contact with aunts, uncles, Isn't it grandparents. Isn't so crazy how we just believe them that we can't? As if we can't just drive to someone's house and knock on their door and say, hi, I'm here. Like, yes, I think this is a little different. The shackles. I feel like the, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I agree that because. And this situation feel, could be that like literally they are not allowed to see, but just wanted to the bring The siblings that up are younger. Or, okay. So that's different. 18 and younger. Yeah. But yes, I do agree with that is that when an abuser comes into our, our life and I don't want to talk like I am a life coach and I am an expert and I don't, I'm only talking on experience. They put these imaginary boundaries around you, these walls yeah, that it's all you made feel up. you cannot break ever. Yep. And that's exactly what they do. And, yeah. and it's the second you break that wall, it's freedom. Yeah. It's happiness and, and the, peacefulness. And the narcissist, that's usually when they will go into a smear campaign where they will begin to just let loose and start to gossip about you here and say things about you here and how can I manipulate this person and turn them against you, which is the fear and why most people stay in the abusive relationship. Because the second that they stand out on their own and the narcissist realize they can no longer control them, then they are useless to the narcissist. So then how do they save face and keep the mask? Well, then they have to go out of their way again to triangulate and get everyone around that person to smear them. But this is what I want to say. And if there's only one thing you remember about anything that I say today is this. Lies have speed, but truth has endurance. The mask will always come off. Wrongs will always be made right. It might take years, but when you have truth on your side and you are in integrity with yourself and your character, the narcissist can never win. We spoke on the phone briefly before this interview. And I love that saying so much because I am in this hard place right now. And I have to be honest where I have been down this healing journey for the last four years and I'm a completely different person. Mm -hmm. And I will never let that person treat me or my family ever again the way they have. Mm -hmm. And I'm in this phase of life. And I said this to you where, why am I protecting their identity? Why am I making sure that everyone knows that they didn't do this? Why am I not telling people my story and what happened? And you said something to me that was really interesting. And I don't know if you remember, but you said it will light a flame under a narcissistic person. Oh, it yeah. will give them the hit that they need and yeah. it will juice them up. Like, I want you to go in more detail about that. Well, the short answer of why you aren't doing the smear campaign is you're not the narcissist. In short, that's how you know. You're not the Thanks. narcissist. It's so easy to see. <sighs> and the best way to leave a narcissist is as quietly and silently as possible. Because if they know you're leaving, then they're going to make a big old scene because they want a reaction from you. Because then they get narcissistic supply. Then they get that hit. The NyQuil starts working again. They get a... They get a little hit off of seeing you squirm. Any reaction they can get out of you is narcissistic supply. And as long as you are their supply, you are not free. Which I'm grateful for. 
I'm grateful because it, this has been so ther- therapeutic for me. It's almost like this is my write-off letter. I'm done. Mm. I'm closing that chapter in my life. It's been a decade that you've taken from me and my family. And no longer do you have these this control over me and my emotions. And so I was telling Kaylone last night where I have this urge to release their identity, but I will never, ever do it for the sake of my best friend. And I was telling her that I will never say their name because Mm -hmm. in the future, I would never want that on my back. I would never want to be like that person because they are them. We call it Voldemort in our house. Explain that. The name who shall not be spoken. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes. So everybody will say Voldemort. Yeah. (laughs) Whose name who shall not be spoken. Yeah. Right? And and when when you really like what that is is dissociation. Hmm. And I have, I mean, we could literally be here for 17 episodes and not get through it all. Yeah. But when you go through an inner child wound, and then you are in an abusive relationship with a narcissist. In short, your nervous system sends in an inner guardian, protector parts, inner guardians to distract you from feeling pain. And one of those inner guardians, there there are lots of things from like procrastination, like people who are survivors of trauma and abuse tend to struggle with things like uh, procrastination, people-pleasing, self-harm, um, uh, over-exercising, drug use, social media addiction, uh, money spending. There's literally, I have a list of like 40 different ones. And we think these are bad things about our personality or things that are horrible about us. Like, oh, uh, I have this eating disorder because I was in an abusive relationship. No, your nervous system sends this inner guardian eating disorder because it's trying to distract you mm-hmm. from feeling the pain that the abuse has left. Because your nervous system, and you said it perfectly, uh, your nervous system sees you as a child. So how old does your nervous system think you are? Gosh, I couldn't even tell you. Five. My nervous Mm. system thinks I'm five. I'm 40. And so it sends dissociation in to keep me safe and keep me distracted. It sometimes sends overachiever in where I just excel in all of my work and I can focus on that. It distracts me from feeling the pain of sadness and grief Mm. and all of those things. And so these inner guardians are sent in like dissociation where you're dissociating from it. I see you, you know, not using the name. These are things that are, they're good for you to, to access on your healing journey. There will be different inner guardians that will come in and distract you throughout that time. And then my challenge to you is as you are curious around this, what does that inner guardian of dissociation need to hear you say? So it doesn't have to come and be in that role anymore for you. Because if it thinks, like it thinks I'm five, it thinks I'm five. Yeah. And so I had to have a conversation with my inner guardian of dissociation and say, I just want you to know you come because you think I am going to feel sad. So you come and keep me company. But every time you come, I miss out on big love because I'm dissociating from all the things that I love the most, thinking it's keeping me safe from pain. But what it's really keeping me from is love. So dissociation, inner guardian, Captain America, who's come to protect me, I just want you to know you don't need to come anymore. I'm 40 now. I can feel sadness and grief, and I can handle it. Five-year-old Emily couldn't handle it. I needed you there then. But I don't need you to come around anymore. You can leave. 
I'm good now. And I want to encourage you, like challenge you, what might that conversation look like for you, for those inner guardians that you notice come and go throughout your healing journey. It's so powerful. Talking about the healing journey, I want to leave our audience with one crucial, and I know this is going to be hard, step to start their healing journey that someone's listening. They say, this is me. I'm in this step, but what do I do, Emily? How do I get out of this and how do I start a peaceful life? I don't know what to do. You have to go into the body and heal within the nervous system. Trauma is stored inside of the nervous system. And a lot of times when we go to therapy, and I therapy is amazing and it should absolutely be a part of your healing journey. Um, there's lots of different modalities that you can access. But and a lot of times when you go into therapy or you talk about your your trauma or what's happened to you, you're up in your head and it can actually make it worse. I have a six-step system that you can literally download instantly that is going to give you relief in 72 hours. And it's this nervous system healing that will begin to relieve some of this trauma that's stored inside of your body. It's this, it's this work where you get to do things like breathing, grounding. It sounds so crazy. It sounds so woo. It doesn't sound crazy Literally, at all. I did all the therapy. I did all the things. And it wasn't until I stumbled on nervous system healing that I finally, that like tired, that tired wall behind your eyes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It finally went away when I started doing nervous system healing. And another thing, you use real salt, right? Okay. <laughs> when you are in trauma and abuse, your body is burning through sodium faster than you can even get it in. Mm. So you you probably crave salt. A lot of people that are um, survivors of trauma and abuse or in abusive relationships are constantly craving salt. And people are like, oh, don't eat that salt. It's bad for your blood pressure. Baloney. You're deficient in salt. You can't get enough of it. I used to care. I still do. But I, I'm famous for carrying salt packets in all of my purses, all my uh, jackets, pockets, everywhere. Even my kids, they gave me, my daughter gave me 75 salt packets one year for Christmas. It was my favorite gift. I love that. Food just tastes better with salt. Yes. So anyway, so when you, there's these, there's six specific things that don't cost any money at all that you can do. And within 72 hours, you'll see a noticeable difference in your nervous system healing because there's this ventral vagal nerve that goes throughout your body. And in trauma and abuse, it gets floppy. Like when you, do you like ever lift, lift weights or whatever? Yes. Or like maybe just lifting kids. <laughs> Every <laughs> right? day we had to you, the gym and yeah, kids. You tone those muscles. And if you don't go to the gym, what happens to your muscles? It starts to lose its memory. It starts to go yes. away. This is what happens with trauma and abuse is this ventral vagal nerve that runs through your whole body gets floppy and we have to tone it. And these six things that I'm going to give you are going to teach you instantly how to tone it. When you start doing this, I'm not kidding, 72 hours, you're going to notice a significant change. We'll have to have you on a second episode and maybe dived into that. In our show notes, we're going to link that so people can have direct access to that and come to your platforms and see you and be able to follow you. And I'll also link the Redmond salt that we're talking about. It's the pure The salt mango apple. flavor we agree yes. is our favorite one. <laughs> it is the best. And we, I have it every day. I crave it. But I just want to tell you, thank you so much for taking time out of your day and talking. I know you're going to heal a lot of people and helping people label 
their abusers and break free of that and become peaceful. You are so special and I'm so grateful. And thank you again for coming. You're so welcome. If you were inspired by today's episode, I encourage you to tag me on social media at Kat Kamalani so I can personally thank you myself. I would love to hear your thoughts on my podcast. So go ahead and leave a review. So high five for finishing the episode and trying to better yourself. I hope you found it informative, inspiring, and thought-provoking. I will see you again soon for another episode. Take care. Bye.